I don't know why you would put all your eggs in one basket and then send that basket across the <laughs> across the land. Not, that you not took just put by your force. eggs in one. Not just put your eggs in one basket. You're putting your eggs in one basket, and then you're putting a sign on it that says "Fresh eggs, don't touch." <laughs> Welcome to Casuals of Runeterra, episode 70. I'm your host, Ryan, here with your other host, Hedge. Yes, and nothing could crown our 70th episode by doing an episode we've already done before. (laughs) 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 Woo! (laughs) We're going back to Shurima. (laughs) It's one of those things where um, today we're talking about Xerath. Um, And... Back when we did our original span of Azir, Renekton, uh, and Nasus, because they were released as a bundle, it felt kind of wrong that Xerath wasn't there to finish out the whole story, because all four of their stories are all-encompassing. So that's you know a heads up. Go listen to those episodes, um, because there's bits and pieces in each of those stories that elaborate on the overall events that happen across these millennia. Um between these ascended beings so that's going to give you a lot of the context here uh, but we're going to touch on a bit of that to help you out in this episode if you decide not to listen to those yeah and like it is they're they're all going to be mentioned whether you go listen or not because the ascended they're put in that bundle for a reason and they are the only ones that get that third level up for a reason too is because this is spanning a lot of time and a lot happens but it happens all to the same four people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> exactly. Uh, one thing you won't be able to skip, though, is the housekeeping. Up top, as always, you can listen to us everywhere. Visit us at podcastcore.com for all of our info. Uh, and then follow us on any platform you prefer or all the platforms. We appreciate it. It helps us a lot with visibility. And then you can send an email if you want to get in contact with us at podcastcore at gmail.com. So leave a like, follow, short review, slash comment. Let us know how you feel. Um, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, but the easiest way to spread the word is to tell a friend to go beyond their mortal coil by listening to the Casuals of Runeterra podcast. That's right. We're gonna, that's right. Our podcast will <laughs> yeet you into the abyss. <laughs> As a Leave wise senator once said, rise. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this show. <laughs> take, us, take us into this edge. Right. right of Repetition is the name of the episode. That's right. Right of Repetition. And that's, uh, uh, of course, we're going to talk about a couple of the cards that came out. And, you know, we're talking about a right and everything. So we're going to talk about these good cards, right? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, because <laughs> we're here to talk about lore. So first, I'm going to go a little bit out of order here. Uh, and I'm going to open us up with a landmark. Um <gasps> When we get to talking about Zareth's card, the fact that there's all these new landmarks will make a little more sense. Um, but the landmark we're going to talk about today is the Obelisk of Power. So this is a one-mana landmark with a countdown of three. And it also has, uh, so countdown of three, when I'm summoned or destroyed, grant the strongest ally plus two plus zero. Um, so with this, you summon it, you 
you're granting a buff to your strongest ally. So this is going to be a permanent plus two plus zero. And then if it's destroyed or if it is, if you destroy it or you let it count down, that buff happens again. Um, so it's a neat little kind of a uh, little power creep thing. Uh, since it's on a landmark, not really seen too much because you want these kind of things to be more combat tricks. But we all know why we bring up any card on this show, and that's going to be for the flavor. And this is actually something that gives us a lot of, like, two Zerath within the world of Runeterra. Um, and when we get into the story, the this kind of fills in the gaps from after his story. This in-between of him, of Zerath becoming ascended into the present world. And... What we've got with the flavor text on this card is sparking, crackling pillars rose from the sands, subverted places of power that would reinforce Zerath's already powerful army. Um, so this actually fills in a lot of gaps from uh, like knowing Zerath in the present world now, because one, we know he's got an army. Uh, two, this these crackling pillars of like all this lightning kind of like a lightning rods that appear yeah. everywhere. Like they're actually feeding off of Zerath's power and Zerath's feeding off of their power too. So this is something that's not like a traditional, like scenic landmark for the people of Sharima. Like the people, the people of Sharima would not have seen this for millennia at this point. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they just pop up and there's lightning everywhere. And there's these, crazy looking people running around killing everybody so yeah that, that's a lot to take in <laughs> it's definitely a spectacle as well um and that's part of his whole shtick is putting on a show not in the sense of like how vladimir puts on a show but, <laughs> yeah. I'm super, but definitely I'm, something yeah. used as a fear tactic to just be like listen you don't understand how powerful i am now bend i'm glad the knee. I'm glad that you referenced, you know, a, a champion that we've actually done on this show because I was waiting for you to be like, uh, not like Shaco. <laughs> and, and it's like, I'm not explaining this to our listeners. I'm just going to be angry Soon. at you. Soon. I will continue Soon. to hold out hope. It'll never happen. Uh, and, well, speaking of these armies that pop up, uh, a, a card that really gives us insight into these followers of Zerath is going to be the Ruinous Acolyte. Um, so the Ruinous Acolyte is a two mana, two one with Fearsome. And the he also has on the play, destroy an allied landmark to grant allied Ruinous Acolytes everywhere, plus one, plus one. Um, this is obviously one of those cards that doesn't see like too much play because it's like the at its base level, it's not that great because you're just getting a precious pet for one extra mana, which kind of sucks. But it's also one of these things of like, since it buffs other Ruinous Acolytes everywhere, it's just one of these things that like people like me are going to want to try to play around with all the damn time. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the card is fun, just not the greatest. But 
the flavor text on this actually gives us a lot of insight into the people that follow Zareth. So all of Zareth's acolytes gave something of themselves in exchange for power, but his most powerful devotees were hardly more than husks of their former selves, serving as both conduit and power source for their new emperor's energy. So these acolytes that we see, and this applies to the other followers that we that came out at the same time with that Zarath's block dropped. Um, anyone that follows Zarath, like you, it's not just losing your humanity in that spiritual sense or that morality sense. You are losing your humanity altogether. You're literally becoming a battery. Yeah. And Zarath is just using these batteries to just fuel his own power. But the batteries are also running around killing people. Um, yeah. But like it's it's really cool because this is a nice attention to detail that we don't get in Zarath's story. Exactly. Um, it's you put it in a way that makes it so terrifying because with anything, and you have a lot of instances of this. I mean, I'll go back and talk about Nocturne. Like we've done that episode. Where when you have things that don't have that compass that you associate with humanity, as a human in this world, dealing with these things, that's terrifying to know you can't relate, right? That's that's the true concept of monstrosity. Um, I want to bring up real quick, when you look back in the 70s, when they started talking about like serial killers, right? And these people that would do these horrible, what were considered quote unquote monstrous acts, but the big part of those investigations was trying to communicate to the public that these are humans that are capable of doing these things, right? So that you wouldn't become devoid of that sense of relatability. And to not have that here is like, oh, this is beyond, like there's no turning somebody like a monster to understand. It's like a predator, right? Like it's, it's going to do what its existence is meant to do, which are, unfortunately interrupts what your existence is. <laughs> the common ground is gone, and so are you. Exactly. Now eat this battery. <laughs> now eat this battery. And now, as far as like bringing up these two cards, uh, like the they're a lot of fun. They're not great, but since they are fun. And maybe you want to have fun. What if I could? What if I told you that you could find these cards in one spot? And we're gonna to go to our spell for the day, and that's the construct of desolation. What's that? You thought we were gonna talk about right of negation? Real cards here? <laughs> Not today. So, uh, construct of desolation is a one mana burst speed spell, and. Its effect is create a ruinous acolyte or an obelisk of power in hand. Mm -hmm. um, so if you are a mad lad like myself and you are trying to make ruinous acolytes work, this is a must-have. Um, if you're trying to win, this is a must-bench. Do not play it. Um, <laughs> but the <coughs> as far as like the flavor text with this one... It just kind of sums up all of what Zarath becomes in one direct quote from Zarath. And that quote is, I will fashion Sharima in my image. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, so we're no. all going to be batteries now. <laughs> oh, no. Well, let's get into it, right? Like, we're going to move it a little bit of a clip here. Because um, there's a lot to... We go from beginning to end, baby. <laughs> that's one thing about Zarath's story is... When you look at where we're left off, he's the furthest point. 
right, from beginning to end, which is why probably they left them till the yeah. end for the out of the four stories. Mm-hmm. So once again, check out NASA's, check out Azir, and uh, check out our Renekton stories, and mm-hmm. then check out Zareth. There's going to be a lot of repetitive, pre- repetitive, repetitive stuff, but it's going to give you the full story. That's the way it's presented. Yeah. Um, yeah. You made it. You got I did there. It, um, it, it took and, me a couple times, ironically, <laughs> to say the uh, word. And out of are. out of those other episodes, if you like, you don't want to listen to all of them. At least listen to the Azir one. Yes, because Azir and Zarath stories are very much hand in hand. All four of them go together, but these these two stories are holding hands. Yep. So we broke this into a story of five parts, and we start with a young boy born a nameless slave in Sharima which is a story all too well known, known as Zerath, a very long time ago. Um, his parents are actually scholars, and they work for like architects and different people within the Shreeman Empire. And because of that, they're able to teach him these various skills that most kids wouldn't have access to. And they're doing so in the hope that his life will be better than theirs, right? It's classic good parenting. Um, his father, unfortunately, dies during a horse accident, and it's emphasized that it's due to negligence um, on the side of his, you know, handlers, if you want to call it that, uh, because they don't even try to save him. It's like the accident happens, and they're like, all right, screw it. They move on and kind of leave him there to die. And after this event, his mother obviously is scarred, uh, and she puts all her effort into begging one of the tomb architects to take him in as an apprentice. And he does. He's actually impressed by Zeras' mathematical abilities and his language abilities at that age. So he agrees to do it. Uh, but unfortunately, Zerath is taken away and never sees his mother again. This is something you see a lot in in the history of slavery, unfortunately. Uh, I mean, this is something that you see a lot in uh, the, the real world and like war torn countries and stuff like this is not that uncommon. Uh, sad. But true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's this is not a uh, hopeful story. We probably should have told you trigger warning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we didn't do like the Azir one was like the clear trigger warning. But yeah, the, yeah we, we should bring that up again. There's there's some elements to this story that can get a little uh raw. Yeah. Uh and we'll be we'll be there soon. <laughs> so um one day while he's with this architect, uh he's at NASA's library. Check out the NASA's episode if you understand why that's an important place. Uh, while visiting NASA's library, he runs into Azir. This is a young Azir, and he's struggling with his reading lessons, and he actually helps him. And this kind of leads to them seeing each other again and kind of interacting more and more, and they soon become close friends. So Nerds. N- nerds. So what ends up happening is Zerath actually gets his name from Azir. Because remember, slaves aren't given names in the society. Um, and he also ends up making him his personal attendant. So this is cool, right? And obviously, Zerath's name is not official. It's just kind of between two friends. And at this point, they're inseparable because they both love reading. They love reading. They love learning and growing together. Now, there is one thing to keep in mind here. Zerath has a goal, which he inherited from his mother and his father, is that he wants to be free, right? So he clings to this concept of their friendship, not just because he likes Azir, but also Azir is his key to freedom because Azir is royalty. Yeah, and at this point, uh, like Azir is the youngest son uh, and the furthest heir to the throne, 
of Shirima. Uh, so he's got like 13 brothers in front of him or something silly like that. So it when when Zareth is thinking of this as like a far-fetched dream, it is a far-fetched dream yeah. at this point of the story. Yeah, Zir will technically have no impact at this point on, on in, in any royal capacity, unfortunately. Yeah. So how does he get uh, to the capacity of having impact? Well, <laughs> one day <laughs> during a tour <laughs> of the Emperor's Dominion showing all of his conquered land, got to love some imperialism, uh, the royal caravan is attacked. We talk about that attack in a different episode. Check out the Renekton episode. And it's attacked, and all of Azir's brothers are killed. All of them. I don't know why you would put all your eggs in one basket and then send that basket across the across the land. Not, that you not took just put by your force. eggs in one. Not just put your eggs in one basket. You're putting your eggs in one basket, and then you're putting a sign on it that says "Fresh eggs, don't touch." <laughs> And then, like, the basket that you have it in is shaped like a chair. <laughs> so it, it's just it's just bad. This was just bad planning all around. But again, you got to love some imperialism because imperialism <laughs> in history always falls apart because the Imperials just got too big for their britches. Yep. Right? Yep. No one's going to rebel Looking against at you, us. <laughs> <laughs> so... Azir is the only one that survives this, and you know he knows. Okay, well, I'm going to be next in line for some reason, and he promises Azir in that moment that he will officially end up making him his brother since he no longer has any blood kin. And Zareth knows that this is still far fetched, even though this crazy event has happened, because he understands once they get back how hated Azir is. Like essentially, by his father, he's hated because he's the one that survived, and the kingdom is also has a view on the emperor and the surviving son that's not favorable anymore as well. Uh, but there is, you know, one check mark here that's still, a, you know, a, 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 a chance of hope, which is his mother's young. She's young, she's healthy, even after all these kids, and she can bear another son or daughter, but most likely a son. Um, and this actually is a cause of concern for Zarath because his goal of freedom is still his goal. Right, Azir could care less because he wasn't in a favorable position to begin with. But Zir asks, like, this problem needs to be solved, and we're going to solve it yeah. in the next couple and parts. So, as we said before, what was a far-fetched dream is now not so far-fetched. Yeah. Because, hang on a second, he's no longer at the end of the line, he's at the front. Um, And all, what we had also brought up at the beginning of this was um trigger warnings yes uh, <laughs> so how does Zareth deal with this um <sighs> this this coming of next air <laughs> so this is the first this is where Zareth starts to be be manipulative on a grander scale than just his own doings right so after this event he tells Azir hey you need to become more well-rounded because you're going to have to survive a lot of shit coming your way that wouldn't previously have come because of the position you're in now. And part of that is Azir focusing on physical skill. And he does that. And while he's doing that, Zerath is continuing to deepen his knowledge by any means, like reading forgot, like forgotten text, kind of the dark stuff. You, you've seen this before in many different fantasy situations um, where they start to get a little too curious 
and uh, dig into some shadow clone jutsu style uh, <laughs> text, if you will. <laughs> I, I would like to. I would like to take out your rarest book from the forbidden section. <laughs> <laughs> so. This leads him to some unsavory places and people who already have an unfavorable view of Azir and obviously his attendant, Zerath, are starting to ask questions. And when people ask questions about Zerath's endeavors, he's finding sneaky ways to have them silenced. And everything he's doing up to this point, he's starting to say, well, it doesn't matter how dark it gets because I'm doing this in service of my king, right? He's the one that believes in the king and no one else does. Um, so he shouldn't feel bad about it. And years pass with this mentality and slowly and slowly his morality continues to darken and darken. And the thing he does next, this is bad. So... <laughs> He essentially curses the queen and curses her in a way that causes constant miscarriages. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> like this is this is a storyline that would be like kind of like dark and hard to digest in a like in a game like The Witcher. Yeah. For League of Legends. This is ridiculously dark. Like, this is just so left field dark. Um, but, yeah, like, he ends up cursing the queen. Um, and this this whole miscarriage thing continues <laughs> until the point that the queen finally ends up dying. Uh, like, yeah. it's just... So, there... God God bless that woman. Like, <laughs> it's bad. It's it's bad. Yeah, it's, it's messy because it's... It, to Zerath, where he is mentally, it makes sense to him, which is crazy because to descend to that point that you're saying, oh, I'm just going to keep making her have miscarriages. And she actually doesn't have one. And she has a son. And he's like, well, now I have to resort to my other plan. And when your first plan is miscarriages and your plan B is coming up, I don't even know what that is. Well, it, it, it's too bad because we're here to know what it is. <laughs> And in this one, it is the Zerath version of just things go boom. Yeah. Um, so then he ends up conjuring up a storm and it's just lightning strike after lightning strike. <laughs> you know, like if you have seen like a really big thunderstorm go through your town uh, and like you see thunder going on for like minutes after the storm yeah. is already blown over it's like that except all hitting the same bedroom yep. just over and over and over again and granted that does kill the queen and her newborn and the crazy part about it is when you're doing something on this scale you can't hide it so the emperor catches him red-handed and he's like well shit guess i have to do some killing again and he burns alive the emperor and his guards so you would think after all this, he would finally be put to rest in some form. Like justice would be served because no one likes Zareth at this point. He's been shady and now this craziness happens. You say that, but all these people are dead. That it's is true. Like, it's like when I play the Hitman video games or Assassin's Creed <laughs> video games. I'm a stealthy person because you can't see what I've done if there's no one alive to see it. <laughs> The island you came to is now empty and you leave. <laughs> no one's left. 
But yeah, he kills everybody involved and then he frames all the actions on a recently conquered mage territory. And the first thing Azir does after this tragic event, on top of the tragic event he just he went through not too many years ago, is his first order as emperor is to bring retribution to this territory for what he believed they did. And this takes us into part three. Yeah, so, you know, again, like I brought up the Witcher game earlier, which, you know, it's like there are no right answer or wrong answer it's just an answer and you deal with the consequences so yeah he picked the storyline and he ended up getting an entire nation destroyed yeah to cover his own butt um but at the end of the day azir is now on the throne yeah and azir names him brother he doesn't free him <laughs> but he names him brother so moving up yeah slowly baby steps baby steps Baby steps. What? One Baby steps. rung of the ladder at a time. So, after you know, he he expected to be free, right? Expected slavery to end right there. It didn't, and it's not even just that. Azir ends up furthering the imperial status quo, and he even makes claims to Zerath whenever he brings it up that he should remember his place as a slave, and that puts Zerath in a place of all hope being lost because he's done so many dark deeds up to this point to achieve his goal, to get here and then have it be just rug-pulled, essentially, um, mm. really sends him over the edge and takes him to Plan C. <laughs> so, <laughs> And let's remember, Plan A was repeated miscarriages. Plan B was kill the entire royal family and royal guard. Yeah. So Plan C is going to be flowers and rainbows, right? Yeah, yeah, he's going to take over the kingdom. That's the plan, from the <laughs> shadows as well. Um, so we get to the incension parts. Again, we're referencing Renekton's episode here. So Renekton goes to ascend. And when that happens, and if you listen to that episode, you understand why, it completely breaks the myth that you have to be chosen by the sun priest um, in order to ascend because of Renekton's situation. So Azir demands immediately, well, shit, I just want to undergo the ritual. I'm the king, right? And if you don't do it, I'm going to threaten you with death for the sun priest. Uh, so obviously they're going to be like, okay, cool. We're not going to protest. Like, sure. If you want to do it, you're the king. Let's do it. Um, this situation created Nasus and Renekton to be ascended first. And that gave them a position of power for dealing with like bigger threats, Right. Uh, so Zerath was like, how do I get these dudes out of here <laughs> um, so they don't interfere with my plans? So what he does is he just releases a or creates a situation that, um, what is it called? It's like an eternal. Uh, it's a fire eternal or? Um, it's a. Uh... I'm blanking. I'm blanking too, because uh, I know like they they just bring it up as like they a beast of living fire. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a construct. Yeah, it's something like that. Uh, we'll we'll come back to it. Uh, we'll we'll we'll, we'll marinate on it a bit. But so before the ascension of Azir, right? He shocks Zareth. He says, "By the way, all slaves are free, and you are my eternal brother." But Azera's like, whoops, 
It's too late. <laughs> you must die. Certain things have been set into motion, yeah. which can no longer be stopped. Yeah. So Azir ends up turning his back, and the ritual begins, and under the sun disk, obviously, and Zerath, through tear-filled eyes, as if it matters at this point, vaporizes Azir like he did his father. Um, And immediately he runs into the light to take the place of where Azir was, but this is where the sun disk starts going out of control, because, listen, the rules are broken, things aren't going like the way they used to go, and now we're preparing for what we like to call Rumination 2.0. <laughs> <laughs> so it, for if you haven't gone back to listen to our other Sharima uh, champion video or videos or uh, episodes, the um, what ends up happening is that the sun disk blows up. Yeah. And nuclear explosion does not do it justice. Uh, so if we, if you look back into us talking about like the ruination, uh, so with um, Viego, Callista, Hecarim, Thresh, um, it's that level of destruction. Yeah. It is almost entire country consuming, which it didn't necessarily have to be because again, this is the emperor going to be ascended so everybody and their mother's there yeah the, the mother the mother's like second cousin removed is there too <laughs> like everyone's there it's an event so all of basically all of sharima just blows up in this destruction that caused by the malfunctioning sun disc yeah and th this takes us to part four um, of our five-part story here. And the ritual doesn't end with the destruction of the sun disk. He continues the ritual by actually binding the priest to him. And the power continues to flow from them into him. And it starts to contort his flesh into this, poor, this pure arcane power that we know as Zerath from the game. And as this is happening, Renekton and Nasus are rushing back to find pretty much Sharima destroyed, right? And Zerath at the center at the peak. Just think about Goku doing the, you know, the <laughs> give me your energy, right? The spirit bomb. But it's Zerath instead. Yeah. So Zerath doing that and Zerath going, here, let me take your energy. <laughs> There's no... He's not asking for handouts, all right? He's just grabbing it. Yeah, at this point, you can't expect him to care about consent. <laughs> Zerath has come a long way. <laughs> so when they come back, Renekton and Nasus luckily have this magical sarcophagus that they end up getting when they dealt with the spirit of eternal fire. That's what it was. Yeah, it was the sarcophagus that was actually holding the spirit. Yes. Um, so it's... But... Hey, if it trapped one being of pure energy, now that Zerath is this being of pure energy, ah, uh, why not? <laughs> yeah. So they try. They put him in it, and it kind of has like magical chains and sigils on it. Uh, and he's trapped for a bit, and then immediately he burst, burst out of the prison, but it clings to his form. And that's like that's what we see as Zerath, those little pieces of what looked like rock attached to him by chains. That's the remnants of the sarcophagus. And then this battle kind of starts to rage on through the remains of a broken Sharima, right? 
what we get to then is what we'll, we know from Renekton's story and Nasus's story, where Renekton decides, I'm going to go full battle mode um, on this fool. And they wrangle him into the sacred tomb. And then he tells Nasus, seal me in. And Nasus is very reluctant to do that. This is his brother. And they're eternal beings. So you're going to be in there forever. And you're not going to die. You're just going to be there. And that's what ends up happening is they both get locked in this tomb and they continue this endless battle um, unseen to Shuriman's, uh, both because they're all gone, but also because it's submerged. <laughs> and this is the great collapse of the Shuriman Empire. Uh, but that's also part four. So there's more. That's right. Um, and we touch a lot about this with Renekton's episode. Yes. Um, so with this, again, you know, they're trapped here for all of eternity, essentially. And it ends up being Renekton and Zerath every now and then fighting, but otherwise Zerath on the run. Yeah. Um, because Renekton is the strongest warrior that Sharima basically had ever known before he ascended. Yep. Uh, and then his ascension just made him stronger. So it, the, he Zareth knows he can't fight him. So he just dips, dives and dodges, <laughs> hides in the shadows and then uses that time to just start putting sweet nothings into Renekton's yeah. ear. Start trying to warp his mind because Renekton had already shown that ever since he ascended, his humanity was leaving. So what used to really you know rein him in from the hurting people around him is going away to this aggression and zarath starts feeding into that aggression like your brother left you here to die yeah your brother did this to you and renekton like over centuries ends up just kind of starting to believe him and again it's more that he's kind of losing his mind before going into this. And now it's just going even further. Yeah. And the beginning of our episode brings us full circle back to Star Wars <laughs> when it comes to poisoning the mind. <laughs> so what ends up happening, which we cover in our Sivir story, so another one you're going to want to reference, is that this tomb gets unsealed and only because they're searching for treasures. So the human greed ends up causing another... Uh, galactic problem, if you want to call it that. Uh, and they get freed. And immediately, Renekton runs out of this tomb and takes off in the direction that he thinks Nasus is in because he's going to take revenge on his brother for putting him through essentially what he thinks was imprisonment against his will. And meanwhile, Zerath takes that time to say, well, fuck this. I've been fighting this dude for how many centuries? I'm going to bounce in the other direction and start to regain my power. So he wanders off into what is now this new Sharima, this reborn Sharima, which we talk about in our server episode, um, around him. And he feels a presence, a very familiar presence, and that is the presence of Azir, who is now ascended. That's a twist in the story. So Zerath knows at this point that he's too weak um, to do anything, so he needs to regain his power. But he also knows that there will never be peace with both of them alive. So he leaves to the heart of the desert to regain his power. And this is where he starts to think about how much has changed since he's been gone, since his imprisonment. And he knows that this new world that's not annihilated of Shuriman's um, has probably people seeking a god 
And who else to fill that role, to fill out that application, that job position than himself? But unfortunately, one realization during this time period of isolation, because if you think about it, up until this point, how how much time has passed? He's never really been alone, right, with his own thoughts. It's always been Zerath in motion, Zerath in this kingdom, doing things, shaking and moving. And this is where he starts to actually understand that all this uh, effort for freedom is just keeping him chained to this concept of power. And there's nothing you can do about it because he's past that point. He's no longer thinking like a human. Yeah. Like the, the, it's kind of hard to like read that and not like try to empathize with it. Yeah. And, and like empathizing with that sentiment is incorrect because his humanity is gone. Yeah. His humanity is gone even more so than like Gnosis renekton and, yeah. and Azir. And it's because of this constant striving for power that turns him literally into a being of power. Yeah. Like Zarath's like mortal body is gone, which yes, that's true of all of the ascended, but like he doesn't have flesh yeah. anymore. Yeah. So his humanity is gone even more than the other ascended. And he, it, the only thing that he's really doing right is he knows how to smite. So <laughs> I guess he's got that God part down. Yeah. It's a great story. That's where we're left off is what's a Zara, uh, Zara's next move. And his next move is most likely outside of Sharima. Right. And this kind of puts a good cap on the story of all, Four of them, um, because it's it. You know, we talk a lot about vampires when we talk about immortality, because that's a place in fiction that we get. I mean, you get this with elves as well in fantasy, where mm-hmm. the base concept is after a certain period of time, when you live long, long, long lives, then you start to lose connections with beings that don't. Right? Like you, like we have no concept of a moth's life. Right. Because they live for 24 hours. That's something that we can't really comprehend from a human standpoint. It's the same thing when you're when you're trying to compare across, if you want to say species. So it's sad, man. I mean, I I guess one thing to be said is Zerath lost his humanity before he ascended. Um, Yeah, uh, he he most certainly did. Like he he sacrificed any shred of his humanity. Uh, before that ascension and i think like the only thing that we really get to see is the like him the fact that he strikes his ear down through tears yeah like that was that was the last chance that he had at trying to regain that humanity and he made his choice and his choice blew up a lot of people <laughs> did a lot of damage <laughs> so this has been a long one let's hop into the card real quick because there are some like they we, we get a historic representation of what we've told you, which is kind of cool to see this version of it. But let's talk a little bit about the cart. So Zerath was an interesting project. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of the few cases where they nail it from a lore perspective. But at the point where Legends of Runeterra was, um, they were trying to give more credence to landmark play. And they kind of boxed this card into that archetype. So Zerath is a four cost, three, four, not an impressive body, but he has when an allied landmark is destroyed, deal one damage to the weakest enemy. And his level up is you've destroyed four plus allied landmarks this game. So immediately 
you know, pun intended, they put Zerath in a box. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, congratulations on making it to our game. We hope that you have fun here. Get back in the sarcophagus. Get back in the sarcophagus. <laughs> so when he flips, he gets the plus one, plus one standard. And then he has when an allied landmark is destroyed, deal three to the weakest enemy. And then if you have a restored Sun Disk, then you level up to the third form, which they all have, which says when an allied landmark is destroyed or round start, deal five to the weakest enemy uh, or the enemy nexus if there are none. If an enemy is killed, obliterate it instead. This card is not good. (laughs) So (laughs) in the defense of the card. Yeah. This card is finally a reason to play the Sun Disc yeah. and Mono Sharima. Yeah. Uh, that's end of statement. I can't defend it any further. <laughs> we won't go too deep into the analysis of that, but we will say that when this card came out, people looked at it and then immediately stopped looking at it because it is too much. There's too much contingency on other things. Um, and landmark play at that point was already not popular, so this yeah. wasn't going um, to push them below. I mean, it, it didn't. It also didn't help that this dropped at the same time as Ziggs. Yeah. And Ziggs one, no one plays to level up Ziggs. Yeah. And then two, Ziggs is played because he actually deals damage to the face on the attack. Like, there's a reason to play Ziggs. Yep. And the fact that almost every competitive Ziggs deck does not even try to flip him kind of should tell you all you need to know about landmark play. Exactly. Uh, But we do have some quotes here. So I want to talk about, so we get from Scribe Kinnear, um, the history of the Ascended Host. Uh, And it starts on the first side of the card where he says, the two were once friends, but time and affinity made them into brothers. Certainly Azir could not have achieved all that he was able to without Zarath by his side. Yeah, we know that part. The story continues. (laughs) (laughs) We know that part. (laughs) If only Zarath had known that Azir planned to free him of his bondage, it might have prevented Sharima's demise. But, it's a big but. Some part of the some part of a morality, a moral, sorry, mortals humanity is lost when they ascend and any forgiveness or leniency was quickly erased from Zeras mind. No, that's a little bit of revisionist history there. Just a bit. <laughs> because we, we know what he did up to that point. So it's it's hard to say, oh, well, after, you know, he lost his mortal coil, then it became a problem. No. I mean, like, and this is also from the scribe's perspective. So the fact that it's written this way kind of tells you that Zareth did a pretty good job of keeping his dirty dealings under the table. Um, well, by keeping it under the table, he just killed everybody at the table. But <laughs> like there wasn't anyone to tell you what he did before it. Exactly. So true. So it yeah, it is what you know. And oh, one thing we want to mention that we do mention in our other ascended episodes is that when you ascend, the body you in like what you embody afterwards is completely dependent on who you were. Right. So when we talk about his form being formless and just being pure power, that's because of what he did in his in his life up to the point of ascension. So that's yeah. an important fact. I like. 
Uh, he constantly thirsts for knowledge, for power, and constantly changed everything about like his appearance or like his stance on things for his goal. So yeah, yeah, of course he's just going to be a ball of lightning. Yeah, <laughs> and then finally we get uh, on his final form. <clears throat> for years he sowed seeds of revenge, plotting against Azir in the dark of the Emperor's tomb. Zerath would see a new Shirima made in his image, gathering the acolytes who had studied his arcane magics to serve as his army. Now he marches on Shirima just as Azir has, re has revived it. Um, and that's the part where I, it's, it's interesting because it's almost like an impending doom of people understanding that he's back. Um, most of the reason they understand he's back is because Renekton's on a rampage. So if Renekton's on a rampage, then what is Zareth doing? And he's not here. And we know his history with Azir because Azir's now ascended to tell that history, right? That's an important part. Remember, he killed everybody else. He killed everybody else. And then the people he didn't kill, he killed them in Ruination 2.0. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> like he, so he killed everybody else. So yeah, um, that brings us to the end of it. And the end of that story, as far as we think of the, you know, that, that four character involvement. And it's already been a long one, so why not make it a bit longer? This is one of the things we spoke about um, when we talked about places to visit post-Arcane. Right. Where do you go next? What stories do you tell and how do you tell them? And there's very there's a lot of self-contained stories like this. Right. That happen in a region that involves some major characters. And that is very compelling. A lot of the stuff is very compelling and can be done in a drama. Um, well, if you put the time into it. Uh, and like we said, it's very dark. Right. Like Arcane gets dark. This is dark. Right. This is yeah, almost it, horror at some points. Yeah, it's this is like aggressively dark. Um, and I think that like if they were to take Arcane in this direction, um, I don't think that they would tell like too much of like the the forming of the Ascended. Yeah. I think what they would do is like pick up the story from Sivir's point of view after Azir has risen because we know from our our like check out our Sivir episode. Um, so spoilers for it, mm -hmm. I guess. But Sivir is in Azir's bloodline, and now like she's at a place where she has to like Azir is basically chasing her down. Like, hey, hey, no, come come to Sharima, your royal blood. You have a job to do, and she's like, I have a job already. Great, 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 granddad. I have a job already. I, that job is mercenary work, and I want nothing to do with this. Yeah. Um, so I think like that would be a cool place to like take the story because Sivir would be like a compelling character to just kind of like hang on to, and then just see like how she tries to get away from her responsibilities to Sharima. Hetch, how dare you create a great point of reference for the viewer in a narrative? <laughs> That goes beyond. Stop giving this <laughs> shit away for free. <laughs> I look. This is my soapbox, and I'll this, say what I want. We're here to announce. We're putting this behind a Patreon paywall. <laughs> <laughs> but we're joking. We'll would, never make you pay for it. Um, yeah. Thanks for hanging. If you out. would like to steal Hetch's ideas, 
<laughs> Thanks for hanging out so long for this one. Um, and we promise, I think we're done with these stories. <laughs> uh, who knows? Who, who knows? knows anymore, who knows? man? We could be like, lying because Shaco still exists. Yeah, next set's going to be Cassiopeia. <laughs> Most likely. Like, next, I would see them next bring Next set's going to be Cassiopeia, then we got to just jump back into the oh, Sifter story. You know what? <laughs> with that, thank you for listening, and we'll be back soon with hopefully a shorter next episode. But we, we, we love you so much for being here. Y'all the greatest. Take care, everybody. <laughs>